let's talk about digital identity, the podcast connecting identity and business. I am your host, Oscar Santolayo. Hello and thank you for joining. Today we'll talk about Canada, Canada's strategic collaboration for securing identity and build economic good growth. And for that, we have a very special guest who is Johnny Brennan. Johnny Brennan is president of the Digital ID and Authentication Council of Canada, DIAC. Building on over 15 years of hands-on experience in identity access management, innovation, adoption, and industry standards development, Johnny helps the DIAC to fulfill its vision, delivering the resources needed to establish a digital identity ecosystem that accelerates the digital economy, grows Canada's GDP, and benefits all Canadians. Johnny builds diplomatic and impactful collaborative relationships and formalizes strategic partnerships. She has participated in international committees from organizations including OECD ITAC, ISOC, IEEE, OASIS, ISO, and I2T. Before joining DIAC, Johnny was Cantara's Initiative's Executive Director, driving programs for business, legal, and technology interoperability to connect entities and individuals in a more trustworthy environment. Johnny led Cantara Initiative as the United States premier trust framework provider, delivering value to multiple industry sectors. Johnny helped to ensure that Cantara Initiative program is aligned with multiple e-government strategies for economic regions, including Canada, New Zealand, Sweden, and the United Kingdom. Johnny Brennan previously served as the first ever IEEE SA technology evangelist for internet identity and trust, focusing on issues of governance, policy, and technology development that touches digital identity, personalized identifying information, and trust services. When not connecting the digital identity world for the better, Johnny can be found skiing in beautiful British Columbia. She can also be found playing flute or synthesizers in future thinking musical collaborations. Hello, Johnny. Hello, Oscar. Thank you for having me today. It's great talking with you, Johnny. Yes, um, I'm really excited to, to hear more about what you are doing in DIAC. So let's talk about digital identity. And I read a bit about yourself and it's truly impressive what you have been doing and you are doing now. now. But I would like to hear more how everything started, how you joined this world of digital identity. Well, thank you so much for having me in the podcast, Oscar. It's really, uh, it's an honor uh, to be a part of this series. So thank you. And about kind of how I began in the identity space and in the industry. It was really uh, when I was in university. My university was in uh, at Rutgers in New Jersey in the U.S. and the university was located directly next door to the IEEE, so the Engineering uh, Society. Mm-hmm. This was quite fortuitous and so as part of our learning in university we learned a lot about standards and what standards mean and how important they are for the world that we live in. Kind of the invisible work that helps to make the technology work together and helps us to have a better and safer experience. So we learned a lot about standards. And from there, I started to have an internship at the IEEE. 
and particularly uh, inside of the IEEE, there was a, an organization that was focused on software and technology standards that had to move faster than the hardware standards had moved in the past. And so, as we know, software moves much faster than hardware. So there was an entire uh, organization that was focused on this particular kind of fast, faster moving standards. In that group, there was one organization that was called the Liberty Alliance. I was working for a number of organizations, but particularly the Liberty Alliance caught my attention because it was focused on standards for identity. And in the world of standards, of course, there's a lot of technology and math and engineering. And one thing that felt very different about standards that had to do with identity was that the human element was very visible. And so you could see right away how these particular standards, while they have all of the qualities from an academic and from an engineering perspective of other standards, they're also slightly different in that they are attaching to a concept of what we'll call identity, which is very human and very personal. So that works specifically with the organization with the Liberty Alliance, I found to be very interesting. So I spent more and more time supporting that organization. And then from there was kind of fully embedded into uh, the identity standards world where much of the early work to develop SAML was happening. Mm -hmm. And um, really kind of the formative space around Identity Federation, uh, kind of the first views on Identity Federation and, and kind of how that landscape may shape out. So, so that's, it was really a journey focused on standards and then that led me into the identity space. And the identity space has been so intriguing and so challenging, however, has so much opportunity that it's a space that I have stayed in from that point forward. So stayed with Liberty Alliance and then with Kantara Initiative and now over focusing specifically here on the Canadian ecosystem and the kind of the Canadian solutions and how they intersect with the culture and the practices and the governance of what we see here in Canada. So, so my career has primarily, actually, my entire career has been in standards development um, with mm -hmm. not-for-profit organizations. And for me, that's been um, a wonderful experience and has enabled me to have the opportunity to work with different orders of governments, different governments from different countries, as well as different sectors within industry, whether that is uh, technology sector, strategy and services providers, risk management, information technology, telecommunications, financial sector. So, so I've really been uh, blessed in the sense that by working in the standards, you're really working in the middle or at the front of, of the action in terms of innovation. And so I've been very lucky to be able to work with so many different kinds of companies and organizations who may have different priorities. However, they all share typically some common goals in terms of um, wanting to move um, a better way to solve identity challenges and take advantage of opportunities with security and privacy and good usability for, for all. So, so that's been great. Mm -hmm. So you started when, when you were a student at university, so it's quite early, quite early uh, entry to this world of digital identity. Mm -hmm. so, yes. so you studied uh, electronic engineering, I guess. 
I studied information technology and mm-hmm. informatics. And so my study was specifically at a time, it was the first year, first time that that um, study was offered at a university. Prior mm-hmm. to that, that particular study had to be specifically at a technical school. And also it was a field of study that was created very specifically to have people who could connect the language and the experience of engineers to the language and the mm-hmm. experience of sales or marketing right. or uh, so so really they there was a need in the workforce for people who could who could kind of speak both sides of the equation they could speak from uh, engineering perspective but also from policy and marketing perspective as well so it kind of a kind of a connector with a little bit of study in each of those fields so that I'm able to have basic understanding of what's happening in each of those fields and then enable the different parties from those fields to connect and better communicate with each other and work together. Yeah, very interesting. And as you said, you started um, studying in United States and then at some point you were working with uh, uh, many organizations there and then you moved to Canada and now you're in, in Canada uh, leading DIAC. Um, if you could tell me what are the main challenges in digital identity you see and let's try to focus a bit from from canadian point of view how what would you say yeah yeah definitely i think that some of the main challenges that we see here in canada regarding digital identity i think there is actually a lot of commonality with some of the challenges that we see also in other places in the world so mm-hmm. what we see here in canada for example the the legal root of your identity you have 14 possibilities inside of canada so the legal root for your identity comes from the provinces the mm-hmm. province that you were born in or it can come from the federal government if you're an immigrant And so there are 13 provinces and territories and then one federal government. So we have 14 different possibilities of where your identity can originate from in Canada. So if you think about it that way, we're kind of like a maybe a mini European Union, right. maybe not, not quite the uh, range of established cultures, but, but it is a, a small federation. And the governance of Canada is formed through what we call confederation. So basically, um, Canada exists as a country because these 13 provinces and territories agree to cooperate with each other. So it's a federation and an identity is established through this federation. And so, for example, it is the responsibility of the provinces to report to the federal government that you exist, that you've been born mm-hmm. And so inside of our government, our different governments, uh, you know, in that case, for example, the federal government is actually a relying party. They're a relying party to the provinces. And again, if you're an immigrant, you know, that, that is your origination in the federal government. So so we have that. That's kind of the, the groundwork here um, in Canada. And so we have some of the same, I think, challenges as other places may as well. And I think primarily the area of challenge that we focus on as well as the opportunity is how do we identify what are the best capabilities in terms of identity of the public sector and how do we identify what are the best capabilities of the private sector and how do we help the public sector and the private sector to 
speak to each other, to understand their priorities, to work together, to actually solve identity through through the eyes of a federation, through the eyes of a village. How do we enable those different partners to work together? And so I think that that a challenge is something that's kind of common around the world that I hear, you know, that, that that's a common challenge everywhere. And in terms of other challenges, you know, we also have challenges in terms of bringing more of the consumers of identity, the beneficiaries of identity. And so what I mean by that are bringing more of those types of voices into the, into the development. And mm-hmm. so what I mean by that is typically it's very challenging to get diversity of relying parties participating or sharing their views, those who would consume identity, those who would benefit from it. They're not necessarily the same organizations that necessarily should be sitting at the table to decide how the interoperability works, but they are the ones at the end of the day who should be benefiting from the work that we're doing. So it's also a challenge to get those voices into the room. And so that's something that we're working on as well. I think that common challenges as well are around also liability models and also funding and business models. And so, for example, some of these technologies and some of the models that are coming forward have the potential to be very disruptive. And so understanding what business models will look like as the ecosystem moves forward, what kinds of jobs can and will be created and and what is is the right entry point for different types of organizations. So, So those types of understandings, I think kind of what where disruption may lead and how we can be prepared for that and take advantage of that disruption. So I think those are those are challenges that we see here in Canada. We have some benefits. We are while we're the second largest landmass country, the population is is quite reasonable. So roughly 38 million people, a large percent of those 38 million people are within are very close to the US border, so most of the people are kind of in certain regions. Meaning that we also have to make sure that the solutions that we have can actually get out to the very far remote areas too. They should be beneficiaries. But uh, that said, we do have a kind of a reasonable number of people that we're working with and a reasonable number of um, organizations. Remember, you know, 14 different routes. That's a that's a reasonable number to work with. So we still have work to do continually to ensure that we're connecting in across those different 14 routes of identity as well as across the different private sector industries here within Canada. So I think that those challenges are Canadian. I think that they're also universal. Mm -hmm. I think maybe something that we see here in Canada, and I don't know if this is something we see in other countries, but sometimes we see people who are kind of looking outward to see if if someone else may have the answer Mm -hmm. um, to solving identity. And so there's a lot of kind of outward looking in terms of what's happening. And so one thing I like to remind people as well is that we all learn when we look outward. And so that's an important piece of the of how we move forward. This said, we have many great opportunities here in Canada that are being developed and are being worked on. And so we we sometimes remind people it's important to look out and learn what's happening around the world. It's also to focus inward as well. Um, and we can do both of those things at the same time and, and remember you know, what pieces we have and, and how we can work better together. So so I think those are some just some challenges, maybe some unique, but I think in fact have quite a bit of commonality with identity initiatives around the world as well. Yeah, sure. Some of these challenges you mentioned are, are elsewhere. And yeah. Yeah, the one that calls my attention more is the 
Yeah, it's the second biggest country in the world. It's a really big country. It's uh, split in 13 regions, you said, and plus there's a f the federal government. That's, of course, very, very challenging, very interesting how I would like to hear more how you are solving these challenges. And that came one question is that Dayak is independent from the from these 13 regions of the federal government or is part of the federal government or is independent? Yeah, very good question. So a little bit about the Dayak. When the global financial crash happened, 2008-2009, there was a, inside of Canada, the Minister of Finance called for a review of Canada's payment system to make sure that the payment system was robust and secure and could withstand, ideally, the type of crash that was happening in, in 2008-2009. They created what was called an Electronic Payments Task Force. This task force had members of it from the public sector and from the private sector. The task force made a number of recommendations, and one of those recommendations a number of years later, one of those recommendations was that Canada needed a digital identity and authentication framework as part of an underpinning for our payment network. Now, of course, we need a digital identification and authentication scheme for almost every industry and every sector, whether you're looking at healthcare or government or payments or otherwise. So, so this was a very important finding, and, and that finding was really the seed for the creation of DIAC. One of the other recommendations in this report was that Canada needed a self-governing body to develop that framework and to bring the public sector and the private sector together to develop that framework. So that recommendation led to the formation of the DIAC. So the DIAC is a independent, not-for-profit organization. It has the benefit of members who are from the federal government, who are from provincial governments, as well as different industries across Canada, as well as entities, businesses, and organizations who are not Canadian. So we are, I would say, not, uh, we are not, uh, we, we are independent from government, and we are representative of the intersection between the government needs and the private sector needs, the government capabilities and the private sector capabilities. So we represent both the public and the private sector as an independent not-for-profit association. Mm -hmm. and, and so, so DIAC also does, for instance, uh, specifications, standards, and right? Correct. So we are developing what we are calling the Pan-Canadian Trust Framework. Mm -hmm. This is the, the trust framework is actually a collection of industry standards and best practices. Largely, this collection of industry standards and best practices is what I would call, uh, it, it is a framework and, and it is specifying certain processes and certain practices. Um, in the context of technology specification, largely this framework points out to existing technology uh, specifications. So for example, the framework could point to FIDO, or it could point to OpenID Connect. And so we are not at this time developing a technical specification. Mm -hmm. Rather, we're developing a framework mm -hmm. that helps to define how to put the pieces together, which mm -hmm. kinds of technologies are better for which types of risk profiles, and gives that kind of guidance. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, you gave this example of the Pan Canadian Trust Framework. So, this, this framework is when you um, have it ready, or is 
the fact that Dayak is independent means that the federal government is going to adopt it, or how is that? So we have a a phrase that we use inside of Dayak, mm-hmm. and that phrase is that we are a willing coalition. And so mm-hmm. what that means is that those who find the value in the Pan-Canadian Trust Framework will be those that adopt the Pan-Canadian Trust Framework. So there is no forcing factor to say one must adopt the Pan-Canadian mm-hmm. Trust Framework. Rather, those entities that are invested in interoperability and believe that the public and the private sector should be interoperable together, it's a willing coalition of adopters. And so the framework is authoritative of those who will adopt it. Now, this said part of the reason for having members that are a diversity of membership mm-hmm. from the public and the private sector is that by having their uh, insights and their requirements and their guidance and their views, sure. our, our vision is that they will adopt this framework, whether they are in the government or whether they are in the private sector. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And and what else about DIAC? What is right now the, the vision of DIAC? If you see not only the present, what you're doing now, but uh, what comes in the future for Canada? Yeah, so... The vision of DIAC, and if you'll, and you know, from the last question, in the last question, we talked a little bit about how did DIAC begin. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the beginnings were around reviewing the payment system and, and in the context of the global financial crash. So, DIAC, because it comes from this, this origin, this history, our vision is actually an economic vision. Our vision is mm-hmm. for economic opportunity, economic growth. And so we are an economic growth, economic opportunity vision organization that believes that the way that we'll grow the economy is through interoperability Mm -hmm. of identity solutions and services. So I think that makes DIAC a, a little bit unique. Perhaps others are starting to adopt that same kind of economic approach, which we applaud. And also to give an idea here, you know, our, our formation, we're approximately five years old now. In the last year, in January, there was a there was a McKinsey and Company study that in January of this year that identified approximately three to six percent growth of GDP that could be realized by addressing the identity challenges and opportunities. And so in Canadian terms, three to six percent growth of GDP looks like between fifty-seven billion and one hundred and fourteen billion dollars that can come back into the Canadian economy. So our vision is to bring those funds back to the Canadian economy, create jobs, create opportunities, and enable small businesses, whether they're in the large urban city centers or the more quiet rural landscapes of Canada, to be able to take advantage of the global digital economy and of all of the opportunities within so what we see coming forward uh, are in our vision, we will continue to develop and deliver the Pan-Canadian Trust Framework. We do so with many public reviews that people from all around the world are encouraged to participate in. And so we, we want to ensure that we have global interoperability as well. Our vision is to deliver the framework. Our vision is to instantiate a scalable certification program that is tailored to meet the needs of the market and provide value to the market. And our vision is to continue to educate and help to build the workforce that Canada needs to fulfill needs with regard to an identity professional's 
the demand for identity professionals. And so we see uh, also creating that path from the student in the classroom to the mm-hmm. next job. That's in our vision as, as far as, um, you know, our next from now until our five-year goals, our five-year plan. Sure, sounds like plan. And as you said, it's, it's definitely unique. It's the, the way that Dayak is, has this vision focus on economic growth and and I believe it's a it's a good incentive for both businesses and, and, and like regional governments because yeah, yes. everybody wants growth. That's right, that's right. The e- the economic focus, I th- I say sometimes it's the north star. The economic focus is the thing that is important for everyone, whether you're in the public sector or the private sector. And what we want to make sure is that that growth and opportunities can get to every Canadian. And so we think that would make the impact that will grow the economy by that three to six percent from that McKinsey and Coast study. Mm-hmm. Could you now tell us a bit of the main achievements so far? You mentioned already, you know, the Pan-Canadian Trust Framework. Can you mention some other projects, some achievements? Yeah. So in terms of achievements, I mean, I I will be a bit humble, but I would say I would like to say that the fact that we have a digital identity forum in Canada where the public Mm -hmm. and the private sector come together, the fact that we have a DIAC, I I think that that's a that's one achievement. Mm -hmm. So I think we benefit from that achievement from the and then in terms of other achievements, moving the Pan-Canadian Trust Framework forward, we've been publishing and releasing drafts out for the world to comment on for the last year. We have in our roadmap to continue to release more drafts through December, and then we'll continue to release and iterate those drafts through June of 2020. So in our vision, we should have our full stack available, our full framework available in a well-vetted form by June of 2020. In terms of the ecosystem in Canada and some of the work that the collaborative of DIAC has done has helped to support or has been built upon. I think a big achievement here in Canada that actually predates DIAC would be the British Columbia service card. This is actually a smart card that enables a British Columbian to, it's a provincial identity that enables a British Columbian to have one card where they keep both their driving credential as well as their healthcare credential in, into one card. Those credentials are cryptographically separated. Um, I think the achievement there with the BC service card, the card itself is exciting, but actually it's the policy work and the linkages inside of government that were done behind the scenes that are very exciting, that position British Columbia to be ready to issue a claim or a credential that does not have to be a card, could be in a phone or a network. So that's an achievement. I would say there was an initial proof of concept within DIAC to focus on, to understand if blockchain technology could provide a more efficient path forward for corporate registries. So one of the things in our view in DIAC, we're looking at the verification of people, but also of the verification of organizations, entities, corporations. So the proof of concept that we worked with British Columbia and IBM at the time in the DIAC has actually led to the instantiation of a service called the Org Book, which is the British Columbia's version of their corporate registry that they are doing in a with a blockchain approach. So that I think that's an exciting piece of the puzzle for the 
corporate side of the work. And another achievement here in Canada that um, that has been, I would say, supported by the collaboration. Uh, however, it's uh, it's not a, a DIAC specific achievement, though. I would say it's the Verify Me Network. So part of it, which is comprised of many of our DIAC members in their own consortia. So Verify Me is a network that also uses uh, Hyperledger Fabric and has the participation of the major banks and is working to grow out uh, with some participation as well as from insurance providers and ideally moving forward to potentially public sector credentials as well. So this is a network for identity that is a a built-in Canada solution that focuses on kind of the Canadian ecosystem, I would say, but has application outside of the Canadian ecosystem for interoperability around the world. So so some of those achievements are purely DIAC achievements, while others are achievements of our members that I think are inspirational and something that we can that we can look toward. And conceptually, again, because the players who, who are moving these achievements forward are contributing into the Pan-Canadian Trust framework, the vision is that the framework will build in the value and, and those systems and those solutions will be the initial adopters of the Pan-Canadian Trust framework. So there's a lot of exciting movement and we know that there's going to be more to come. Yeah, I can see that. For instance, this uh, digital card that is from British Columbia, tell me a bit more what a citizen can do with that card. Yeah, so that card is getting more adoption. They've in fact now instantiated a mobile application where that card mm-hmm. uh, you can that card can be loaded into. The usage on the card, I would say the official usage on the card at this point is for some exciting use cases like uh, grants for education. So use cases that are focused in on what kinds of benefits I can access from the British Columbia government. Mm-hmm. One thing that we are very excited in Canada to see is how can that card be used in use cases that cross sectors? So would we be able to load that credential into another network and present that card, let's say, for what we call age of consent to purchase liquor? Will we be able to soon use the digital representation of that card, which has the data minimized, so you know it doesn't need to have your address or things of mm-hmm. that nature? Will we be able to also use that card in in-person scenarios to get discounts at movie theaters or to board a plane or to enter a bar? So there are some interesting, there's progress with the usage of that card to access services. You can use that card today to, to, to visit the doctor. So there's progress in terms of where that card is actually used today inside the government, citizen-to-government use cases. And what we're very interested in the DIAC now is where can we see the value of that card extend out to be used in the private sector? And I was speaking with one of the leaders who helped to instantiate that card. I think it was probably around the 2006-2007 timeframe. And one of the things that they were talking about was that the card was always envisioned to be able to be used the way that a driver's license is used, but used digitally. And so what that means is that even though we know that a driver's license is not, it's not an identity card, we also know that a driver's license is continually presented as an identity card. And anytime we're in person, they ask for a government-issued ID, we show them our driver's license. So there's this mismatch in policy that exists where a driver's license is not an identity card, but it's accepted and asked for as an identity card all the time. So I know we know that this BC service card, the vision was that it would be able to be used just the way that a driver's license was used. And that means out in the economy as well. So, so in DIAC, we're very interested in how that 
kind of next journey will be made and how that digital credential that has the confidence that governments have the capability to offer, how that card will then be used in scenarios where I might want to present it digitally to a bank or to some trusted provider or potentially for something like Airbnb and, and house sharing, things of that nature. So, so that's where the next level of exploration is. And we're working to put some proofs of concept together, particularly to explore and learn fast and understand what that means in real time. And this is an area we know that we've seen some other regions around the world doing very interesting work around mobile driver's license and where that's being accepted and where that's being used. And definitely the Scandinavian countries are also you know, quite advanced in that space. And so, so of course, we're looking out to uh, many places around the world as to what we can learn and what lessons we can bring back and then apply and adjust for, for our governance and culture here in Canada. Sure, sure. But also I can see uh, many, many good, interesting applications with that. You mentioned more than once in this interview that Dayak makes collaborations with outside Canada. And so I'd like to know what, uh, if you can give some example a bit more concrete and especially telling us what is the benefit of a entity from outside Canada to participate in Dayak projects? Yeah, we're, we're very interested in collaborations that are also outside of Canada. And so we've not yet released, but one of the collaborations that we were working on was understanding if, through the DIAC, is understanding if a Canadian bank could accept a digital identity from another country. Right. So we will soon, we should soon release some materials about that that we're working through. Some of the things that we found was there were some issues in regulation where they were calling for a Canadian digital identity when you get in the digital space. However, in the physical world, it's good enough to provide a passport from another country. So mm -hmm. we're finding some areas where the regulation, where the regulations are being interpreted in a way that maybe prohibits So, so we found that to be very interesting and we should have some information to share there soon. One of the collaborations that we're very proud of as well is we have been working with the Department of Homeland Security, Science and Technology Directorate, and particularly uh, Anil John in that space, understanding where and how we have common agendas from our perspective here in Canada, as well as their perspective in the U.S. So we had a number of projects that were funded that were able to gain funding through a collaboration of the DIAC mm -hmm. and the Department of Homeland Security Science and Technology Directorate. And those projects included some directed funding through that DHS program uh, to help explore and better understand the landscape of distributed ledger technology and identity systems that would use distributed ledger technologies and blockchain. We were also able to fund, and, and those papers are available in DIAC.ca. We were also very pleased that a project could be funded to explore alternatives to KBA and KBV. And that project funded a comprehensive study on kind of what those alternatives can look like and what some of the business models and opportunities can look like around them. So in the case of the distributed ledger technology and, and understanding privacy and identity in those types of networks, the organization that was funded through this program was SecureKey. So that was exciting. That was that was before the launch of the Verify Me service. And then the project that was funded through that program as well was developed by a 
collaboration of two DIAC members, one being Digidentity and the other being the ID Crowd. And so Digidentity is a Netherlands-based uh, company and ID Crowd is based in the UK. So through this program, we're able to identify uh, shared commonalities in terms of agenda and then also to enable connectors to paths for funding to enable those organizations to further develop and to, more importantly, I think, uh, or just as importantly, uh, to share their findings with the world so we were all able to benefit so that's so one of the agenda items that we have moving forward for this year is looking for more opportunities with connecting more organizations, more opportunities who are interested to help drive roadmaps of small to medium sized organizations and startups and help to fund and invest in the next solutions that will come out to address the needs around digital identity. So we're very interested in, in identifying other organizations who would like to direct funding or who would like to be kind of at the front line of seeing where startups are going and helping to influence those roadmaps. So we want to kind of do help with some matchmaking of funding opportunities and organizations that, that need some funding to move to the next round. Wow, so many projects. Well, <laughs> yeah. I was wondering how many people work in DIAC? DIAC is a, is a small and mighty organization similar to Canada, smaller population that punches above its weight, or we try <laughs> to at least. So in any case, we have a team of about 10 and then we have a team that team expands and, and we may deploy different resources to different specific projects. So, yeah, yeah, we can be between anywhere between 10 and 15 or 20, depending on kind of which projects we're working on and, and who we have helping to support us. Well, quite impressive. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would like to a final question is if you can give us to anybody a practical tip how we can protect our digital identity. Yeah, definitely. I have two thoughts here. Um, so, I, and I don't want to cheat. I know it's one tip, but um, <laughs> I would say, uh, first of all, I use a password vault, a password manager that goes across my phone and my laptop and my tablet. So I find that I don't believe that the password manager is the ultimate solution, but I do believe that it's a solution that anyone can implement today. And I would say, Specifically, if you do decide to implement a password manager, I would also recommend sharing access with that one that can share access, whether it's your husband or a family member, your partner, because, you know, having that uh, not only the ability to manage your own passwords, I probably have over 500 of them. um, But also if there's ever an emergency, having someone else to be able to access those passwords will be something that I think you'll be glad that you did if you find yourself in that situation. So um, I think that's very, very important. And then, you know, more broadly, while this industry is working to make this space better from a systematic level, I'd also just like to encourage people to just think a bit more before they click, before they post. I would suspect that people listening to this podcast actually do think quite a bit, but if you are participating in social media or being asked to take a quiz or, or you know, something shows up that looks fun, just think a little bit before you actually participate in that activity about what data they may be trying to take from you or how they might use that data. And is that worth the participation in that quiz or that game online so so just just try to think before you post and before you click so get a password manager and be thoughtful and mindful about your behavior and what you're sharing on the internet Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, excellent, excellent tips. Thanks a lot, uh, Johnny, for this fascinating interview. And uh, finally, tell us how we can find uh, more information about Dayak on the net or to find more about yourself. Yeah, thank you so much, Oscar. As I said, it's been a real pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you, thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to share uh, and to and to learn from your questions. To learn more about DIAC, you can visit diacc.ca. You can find us there, and you can also find us on Twitter at mydiac. M Y D I A C C. Okay, perfect. Again, Johnny, it was a pleasure talking with you, and all the best. Yeah, all the best. Thank you so much. And uh, good luck on the rest of your podcast series. Can't wait to listen. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Let's Talk About Digital Identity is produced by Ubisecure. Be sure to subscribe and visit ubisecure.com slash podcast to join the conversation and access the show notes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Ubisecure or find us on LinkedIn. Until next time.